0: Meg, how many majors is Rose Zhang gonna win?
1: <laughs> right in there, huh? Um, I need a number. I need a number. <laughs> I, I yeah, it's the uh, the predictions and prognostications are out there, huh? Um, yeah. Listen, I I think. So, a lot of talk was about Beverly Hansen and uh, Rose, you know, joining her in that elite company of winning their first professional debut. Beverly Hansen won three majors and I think won a total of like 17 times. Um, I'll just put, let's put Rose up there with Beverly. Um, that, that's
0: the over under three.
1: Yeah. I think I'll do, I think I I'll do. I think that's do, on the
0: lower end of the predictions it, that might be coming out early in this week.
1: It's definitely lower. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think the combination of, the depth of the LPGA tour right now, as well as shorter careers for the women, there are more majors to win majors in, in quotes there. But um, yeah, I think, <laughs> listen, that's, that's a hell of a career if that's, if that's what she goes out and does. So um, I'll, I'll keep, I'll try and keep, <laughs> keep the, uh, the expectations somewhat mild. It feels yes. weird to say three majors are, is mild, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot out there.
0: I, I kind of had the over under in my mind at four. I'm with you because if you think about the best players in the women's game right now, does anyone have more than two majors at this point?
1: no I mean nB
0: Park obviously is the most yeah. recent example of a dominant major championship player yep but she and and I'm not saying that she's done but but she's out for the time being. I believe she's having a baby. Yes. And and she's in her mid mid getting into her late 30s. So
1: Yeah, she had a baby just not too long ago and um you know, she her first one was 08 and that was the end of Annika's career. Yes. Um Lorena Ochoa, you know, was wrapping it up as well. Um I do I mean, yes, there was plenty of talent. You know, what was that? You know, that's 15 years ago or so now. But the talent I, has just increased substantially um with with how good the college game has gotten which how ha- with how much more global the game has gotten um so yeah i don't i don't know i mean she could absolutely prove us wrong go out there and get you know nb anika levels of of majors but um i think when it comes to the predicting majors i'm always going to kind of be on the under because time and time again we see you know a breakout performance like this and it's like well the sky's the limit but it's like well Let's you know, bring it back down to earth a little bit.
0: The tendency is to go over, way over, in these kinds of predictions. But obviously, we have a very exciting story unfolding on the LPGA Tour right now, and that's what we're talking about today. So you're listening to the Friday Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison. That's Meg Atkins. And today, we're focusing on Rose Zhang, who just won the Mizuho Americas Open in her first start as a professional. She had a historic amateur career. We've talked about that on this podcast. She showed signs of being a truly special talent. And now here she is on the LPGA Tour, and in her first week, she completely justifies the hype, sends it into overdrive. Absolutely incredible story, and we're we're going to devote this basically this entire episode to it. So after Meg and I chat for a bit, we're going to bring on Justin Ray to talk about a few of his favorite Rose Zhang stats. And then we'll speak with Brendan Quinn about rose Zang, the person. So Meg, we, we both watched Rose's final round yesterday. It was a bit of a struggle. The course was playing hard. She didn't make a single birdie all day. Yet she still managed to win in a playoff over Jennifer Cupcho. Was there a moment or two from Rose's round yesterday that, that stood out for you?
1: Yeah, I think um, that putt on 17, the, the, you know, she was, I think Karen Stupples was like, I'm so nervous for this putt. It's so difficult. The lengthy, lengthy putt um, that she ends up, you know, two putting and gets out of 17, goes to 18 with the one shot lead. Um, The recovery shot on 12, I believe, where she, you know, just yanked one left and then went over the trees, lands it on the green. She, you know, yes, she didn't have any birdies, but she, never let that big number happen recovery wise um you know leaning on her short game when she needed to um so that that big number was never never happened for her and i think you know that she kept it on the rails on a difficult day and i think another thing that you know kind of played into the final round was yes she was in the final group but she was with anna davis who she's very familiar with and a Titicun, who wasn't really a factor you know never really pushed her and you know yes the Titicun's a, a fantastic player but very friendly I mean mm-hmm. it, you could it, when at, her, they cut at away, her age her exact yeah, age it, the exact this image, is not like uh
0: yeah. this is not like an intimidating yep older experienced major winning golfer that she was paired with she was paired with a peer
1: and she, you know, the many times that we were waiting for them to play their shots and the cameras were on their group, it was very friendly, chatting, smiling. And so she's in this final group, you know, first first uh, tournament of her pro career. And her final group's rooting for her. You know, they showed Anna Davis walking next to her. I think she kind of maybe put her arm around her as they're walking down 18. And um, I, I think that definitely played into, uh, you know, her, her bringing it home. Um, the playoff certainly, you know, playing with Jennifer Cuptro, major winner that, you know, she handled that with, with, you know, getting herself in trouble in that sand trap. That was another shot, you know, looking back at the day, that was incredible. And, you know, to get it over the lip, I think nobody expected her to get it that close. Um, missing the putt, um, missing the putt for par on 18 and then having very similar, up and down on the first playoff hole and Very rolling that putt, putt. in. It maybe was, a little bit was, longer. Yeah, maybe so. But it was it was, you know, she rolled that in and then the 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 dagger, the the finish the finish her, her move on, on the second playoff hole with that hybrid to six, eight feet or so. Just so impressive. Um but yeah I think I think that round it was it was tough conditions. But the friendly group, you know, playing in the final group with two friendly uh competitors there certainly certainly helped the case and then yeah she just did what we've seen her do shut the door on cup show on the second hole and here we are she didn't put particularly
0: well this week and we may end up talking about that with justin ray but i did notice that she made a couple of really big putts at the right moments a 10 footer or so on 17 in regulation And then that putt that you mentioned on the first playoff hole, which she had just missed a version of not 10 or 15 minutes before. And so that was incredibly impressive. And that hybrid on the second playoff hole was absolutely unbelievable. But signature Roseng stuff, this is what she's really good at, that sort of ball striking mode, hitting tough approaches really close. So you watched her at the Anwa, as did I. What do you think makes her a special player like what's the mixture here if there's if there's like a recipe for different kinds of golfing greatness that we've seen over the years, what is roseng's recipe
1: i her steadiness to me is up there um when she does put herself in trouble, like we saw on on twelve with the recovery shot, there she's she's has the ability, obviously, to to pull off those shots. But it's more just the consistency and steadiness. It's it's kind of when you know Jin Young Ko gets in that groove where it's like you know the big mistake is not going to happen. Um, she, Rose has a similar a similar consistency with her ball striking. And then the short game, the chipping, the around the greens is so steady that if she is out of position, you know, she gets herself, you know, a, a makeable uh, putt for par or whatever it may be to kind of keep things, like I said, on the rails and not give up more than bogey. Um, I think, like, outside of the game, like going back to Anwa. After her second round at Champions Retreat, um, she was kind of doing her little press conference outside of the clubhouse, and whatnot. And she was up by five. Had I'd watched her whole back nine, I believe, and saw her just do things on that course that no, none of the other players were doing. And the way that you know she downplayed it so much in that in that interview is like, did you not see what just what you just did? And so I think that that and that's, you know, we'll probably get into it with Brendan downplay her her mod, like for as good as she is at golf, she might be better at downplaying what she does, like her modesty might be (laughs) better than her golf game. Um, And I think whether that kind of just mentally keeps her in check and helps her, you know, not fight, but like not you know, accept all the expectations and the crazy things that are being said about her because she has mentally downplayed a lot of what she's done for so long. So I think maybe when we when we talk about well, what's she going to do, you know, how's the rest of the summer this year going to look like, like, yes, the the hype is, is, you know, in overdrive right now. But I think another one of her her weapons outside of her golf game is the mental, you know, keeping things in check with her, how humble she is and how modest she is to kind of, yeah, everybody else may be saying this, but I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing and not buy into a lot of that hype.
0: We'll see if that attitude remains sustainable as she accomplishes more and more at the top level. Because I think that you're right. She genuinely sees herself as... I don't know if she sees herself as unexceptional. That's kind of the way that she talks about herself. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is not just false modesty. I think that's part of who she is, that she doesn't think a lot about how she compares to other people. Right. I thought one of the most insightful parts of Brendan's profile was when he dug into how some great athletes in the past, many great athletes in the past, like Kobe Bryant, for instance, have had an idol that they both love and hate. For Kobe, it was Michael Jordan. Everything that he did from the time he was young was to compare himself to Michael Jordan. Roseng doesn't do that with Annika Sornstam or Lorena Mm -hmm. Ochoa or NB Park. She genuinely doesn't seem to have that frame of reference. And so that's useful because she's just focused on herself and getting better, and there's a very much a humility in that. But I just wonder if that that sort of lack of comparison, that you know, very individual approach to things, not thinking of herself as being extraordinary, just somebody who's working really hard, is going to be sustainable if she like wins a couple of majors, mm-hmm. for instance. Right. Like, what's right. that going to do to her psyche? I I don't know that it's going to do anything bad, but it just seems like you can't maintain that attitude forever.
1: I mean, there's zero swagger in her game. <laughs> right. And if you, she keeps winning, like, is it going to like, how do you how do you have the, the accolades and the accomplishments that she has if she keeps winning? If she if this is the beginning of, of the the Hall of Fame career, like it's it's so when you think of the other you know major star athletes in other sports like Rose's swagger is is non-existent. Like she 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 has the 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 game to have plenty of it, and she you know like like for example the the hybrid, like you know that's that's what she does. But she's got a smile on her face, gives a gives a nice hug when she's finished wrapping up. It's, it's the so way humble. the way she and,
0: reacted to the shot when uh-huh. it was in the air. She was kind of like oh, there was a little bit of good? doubt. She yeah. she was sort of like is that is that all right? <laughs> it's
1: uh-huh. like yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah, like she yeah she'll she has plenty of ways to beat you, but she does them all with a smile on her face and then an aw shucks attitude after the fact. So, mm-hmm. I yeah that does not match up with with other superstars. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know it, the, the the two don't which like let's get i want to be you know straight about this i love that I, I like that about her it's it's very different it's 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 once you hear her and listen to her talk you realize it's not it's not false it's is how she is and i think it's it's makes her more unique that she is that way and doesn't have the the swagger and the the uh, you know bravado that many athletes do mm-hmm. but it definitely doesn't ma- match up with her skill level and and how good she is at golf
0: a little bit of expectation management here i have to say this i am very excited about what rose is gonna do i saw her play at the end i've mentioned a couple of times and when i was there i was blown away by her game like she is just such a good ball striker so consistent makes so few mistakes out there on the course and and that's just a, a great formula for for being great at any level of golf But a little bit of perspective here. Ataya Titikun, whom she played with on Sunday at the Mizuho, is also 20 years old, is number six in the world, has won twice on the LPGA Tour and four times on the LET. Another great young player on the LPGA Tour is Roning Yin, also 20 years old, a little bit older, but still 20. Won the LA Open in April, number 23 in the world. Yuka won the 2021 US Open at the age of 18. NB Park was 19. Sorry, I said 18. Yuka was 19, I believe. NB was 19 when she won her first major, also a US Open. Lydia Ko, of course, won multiple majors in many many LPGA Tour events as a teenager. So, women golfers have traditionally come of age earlier than male golfers. And so the tempting comparisons to PGA tour accomplishments have to be put in that context. And we have to remember that Roseang has peers on the LPGA mm-hmm. tour who have been professionals for a while and have won events and are high in the Rolex rankings. And so yes, we should be very excited about what Rose is accomplishing but we also can't be expecting her to win absolutely everything for the rest of time. If she does, that would be great. I'd I'd be more thrilled than anybody. Um, but, uh, but we have to keep in mind that this level of mastery at her age is not unprecedented.
1: Yeah. The most uncommon thing from, from this, from this weekend was the, the 1951 record. I mean, the the focus on the age and everything was one thing, but like, yes, there are peers there. We've seen this. um, We've seen younger, we've seen quicker wins. We've seen, uh, you know, majors as teenagers. So yeah, the, the, the true outlier was just winning in your professional debut. That hadn't happened in 72 years. Um, You know, we heard a lot about that, but yeah, the peers are there. I think, um, you know, talk has already started about pebble, I'm interested to see how she performs in that major when the stakes are that much higher than they were at Liberty national. Uh, if she's plays in the weekend with, you know, a Corda, Korda, Jen a, a Brooke Henderson, you know, when they're not rooting for her to win because they want that major. Um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And if but, it's a little yeah. windy and if the course uh-huh. is tough.
0: I mean, the course was tough this weekend. There was some wind this weekend. So let's not downplay that. But I did see her struggle at a very complicated course in tough conditions at the Anwa on Saturday at Augusta yeah, National. Exactly right. And so yeah, I I I have I still want to see her, her prove her abilities at some more complex courses for sure.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: All right, let's take a quick break and then Justin Ray is going to join us to talk about some fun Rose stats. This episode is brought to you by Mizen and Maine. I have a long and very fraught relationship with dress shirts. I find them incredibly uncomfortable. I tend to procrastinate on going to the dry cleaners, and I hate how bunched up and weird they end up looking by the end of the day. Uh, I think that a lot of people have these issues, and it's why Mizen and Main invented the performance fabric dress shirt 10 years ago. These shirts are lightweight, very breathable, very comfortable. And they don't wrinkle or bunch up. They just kind of sit nicely on you. You can wear it to work, you can throw it in a suitcase, or you can just keep one by your desk at home so you can throw it on before getting on Zoom with someone. I mean, they're just, they're not, you know, sort of fragile dress shirts that you have to treat really carefully. You can just kind of live with them. I have a Leeward dress shirt from Mizzen and Maine. It's super comfortable, machine washable. Always looks good, even if you haven't ironed it. Just really practical, good stuff. And I wish I had 10 more just like it. So for Fried Egg listeners, Mizzen & Maine is offering a really nice deal. If you use the code FRIEDEGG, you'll get $35 off any purchase of $125 or more at MizzenAndMain.com. That's code FRIEDEGG, all one word, at MizzenAndMain.com. All right. We are here with Justin Ray. He is the head of content at 21st Group. He's also a contributor to The Athletic, and you can find his excellent Twitter account at Justin Ray Golf. Justin, thanks for coming on the pod.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a momentous uh, Monday morning uh, after a huge day in, in golf.
0: This is a true victory Monday here. So um, <laughs> I asked you to come on and share a few of your favorite Rosang related stats, just to kind of contextualize what we're seeing here. So why don't we dig right in? What's what's your first one that you got?
2: Yeah, so I'll start with the one that you've probably heard four hundred and seventy eight thousand times, um, and that she's the first player to win an LPGA event in her pro debut. Since 1951, when Beverly Hansen did it um, at the old Eastern Open. Um, That one, we we started early in the week kind of trying to excavate to try to find the answer to that question. Uh, The tour itself did not know. um, So I had to go through a bunch of different other resources and try to find that out. But I was determined to. And then when Rose lit it up on Saturday, it was basically like, okay, this might actually happen. So... Um, I was glad to have done all the, the previous legwork. It all kind of worked out really well. But it was cool. It's always cool coming up with something and trying to contextualize something and no one really had the answer beforehand. So um, but Beverly Hansen did do it. She had won as an amateur on the LPGA tour, and then the following year turned professional, and then her first start she won. And Jennifer Cupcho, who finished runner-up yesterday, actually has some good company because Beverly Hansen beat Babe Zaharias by three shots. So um, some some pretty decent names there to finish runner up to two to one legend or one uh, one player from the past and then one you know potential you know generational type talent.
0: I like that there's a link between Rose Zhang and Babe Zaharias now. Um, <laughs> Already I'm, didn't I'm take long, did it? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, did, when you talk Justin about like having to dig and go to multiple resources to find this stuff, I was curious, like. You know, as Rose is now starting her LPGA career, we know the stats aren't out there for the women's game like they are for the men's game. Like, Is it how much harder is it for you to pull stuff and put things into context when, you know, it's not as easily as easily accessible as it is for the men's game?
2: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's taken some time over the last several years as I've kind of dug more into the women's game. Um, When the years I was at ESPN and then Golf Channel, I didn't really have the opportunity to cover the women a whole lot. Um, but I've gotten more of an opportunity to and I've I've kind of found myself building the resources myself over time. Um, there's been a lot of digging through old newspaper articles online and and kind of establishing things. But I will give the LPGA a ton of credit because over the last, I'd say, five years or so, they've really amped up their clarity in terms of numbers and statistics and, and history and they've done a really good job at that. And then the commitment that KPMG made and the LPGA made to the performance insights is, is really big too. We actually um, – a big public rollout of a new website that's going to be accessible to fans is coming very soon. So um, I'm ha- happy about that. But, yeah, no, it is it is tougher because there's – <clears throat> sorry, guys. Hopefully you can edit that up. <laughs> uh, it is tougher <laughs> because um, there's just not the wealth of resources like you said. It just doesn't exist. Um, And I've built a lot of stuff like that for myself over time in the men's game. And I've kind of tried to replicate that a little bit over the last few years for the women, but yeah, it it was difficult, but um, I was glad we were able to come up with an answer.
0: All right. Hit us with your next one.
2: So uh, we all know that she became the first player to win um, the NCAA individual division one title multiple times. First woman to do that, to win it twice. She's also now the first player to win that and an LPGA event in the same season season. And she did it in about 14 days, which is (laughs) unbelievable. I mean, to think that nobody had done it. Stacey Lewis actually won an unofficial event in 2007, the year she won the D1 title at Arkansas. That was an event that was basically shortened to one round because of weather, though. So definitely a whole different uh, ball of wax there. But first player to ever win the NCAA D1 title and then win an LPGA event in the same season. On the men's side, it's been done a few times. Matthew Wolf was the last guy to do it. He won the 3M Open the same year he won um, at Oklahoma State. Won the D1 title, but it's the first time a woman has ever done it.
1: Has anybody won multiple?
2: No. So she's already in her own. Yeah. She's off and running. There's going to be a lot of firsts. I have a feeling. You know, like um, I I would I would estimate it's pretty much a certainty she's going to be on the Solheim Cup team. Um, but the big question was just, was she going to be eligible? And she took care of that in her first start. So, um, there's a whole lot of firsts on the way and she's the first to, to do that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just the, the fact that she went to college is kind of opening up, uh, a lot of these possibilities as well. You know, that, that she yeah. didn't turn pro as a, as a teenager. Um, now she's in this transition from college to pro. And I'm not sure that we've seen many players who were so ready to turn pro as she is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty unprecedented. I think it's a huge day for women's college golf as well, because it just speaks to the level of competition, the level of play that they've had that she was able to, you know, hone her skills on a stage that maybe hasn't been as readily embraced as you know, you know, female athletes, whether it's golf or tennis, they tend to turn professional a lot quicker. Um, but I mean, you saw here, I mean, you can go to college for two years you know, compete in the NCAAs and be ready to go, you know, in terms of winning the highest amateur events like she did at Augusta national. And then first time she gets to tee it up as a pro, obviously she goes out there and gets the win. All
0: right. Next one.
2: Okay. uh, So I thought this was interesting because of the company on the list, but it's very rare for a sponsor's invite to win on the LPGA tour. She's the first to win as a sponsor invitation since Lydia co in 2013. Um, and then before that it was Lydia the previous year, and then before that it was Lexi Thompson. So that's the kind of company she's kept mm. over the last 10 plus years in terms of sponsors invites to win on the LPGA tour. It does not happen very often. Um and when it does, they've usually picked the right one, right? <laughs> they they've turned out to be major champions and stars of the game, and that's undoubtedly what Rose is at this point. So
0: She doesn't need sponsor exemptions anymore, I guess.
2: No, no, she does not. And I don't (laughs) anticipate she will for a very long time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I saw some some people kind of working out before the tournament. All right. What does Rose need to do in the next uh, couple of months in order to earn her LPGA Tour card? And. I guess this is this is sort Just of 74 holes. Do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 74 exactly. Um, all right. Now, we didn't actually come up with an exact number for for uh, you to uh, for stats that you would you would come up with. So, I don't know what number we're shooting toward, but uh, is, is there anything else that uh, that you have to um, I got a handful with?
2: more. Um, so, looking at what she's done since the beginning of Stanford's fall season in fall of 22. She's played 12 stroke play events, amateur, professional, whatever. 12 stroke play events. She's won 10 of them. She finished 5th and 12th in the other two. What happened when she finished 12th? What's going on? I mean, it totally dropped the ball. She's 111 under par in that span. She's human, I guess. I guess. She's 111 under par in that span. Her scoring average is is under 69. So 10 for twelve. Um, I'd like to meet the two women who beat her uh, or won those two events in that stretch. But um, that's some that's some oh, yeah. Tiger-esque stuff. And look, the ties to Tiger are everywhere, right? Stanford, the number of victories she tied Tiger in terms of uh, wins at Stanford, um, getting a win this quick, winning the NCAA individual title, all that different stuff. Um, and that's something that... When you look back over the last thirty years or so, the only guy who had put together a run like that is Tiger Woods. So um, I thought yesterday too it was a little bit, you know, the way she kind of managed around and didn't play very aggressive. We always talk about when whenever you talk about Tiger, the, hot, the the superlative numbers come up, like winning the U.S. Open by fifteen, and you know all the different times he had blots, But for like every one of those wins, there's three or four where he came out with a three shot lead and shot seventy two and one by one. Like, mm-hmm. think about how he finished the 2019 Masters. He, on, on the 18th hole, played it conservatively, laid up, made bogey, and won by a shot. That's kind of what Rose did a lot of the day. Now, she she missed that birdie putt, I think I was 16, that was kind of after that really great uh, approach. But think about how she got there. I mean, she 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 was not attacking flags. She was laying back a lot. She knew the situation she was in and really told me, like, this is a person who has a lot of experience winning golf tournaments because that's the point, right? It's not necessarily make the most birdies and, and get to a certain number. She's looking at the leaderboard. She's reading it for context. She knows what shots she has to hit. And I thought that that was kind of really kind of reminiscent of, of a lot of different Sundays we've seen with Tiger in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's sort of an argument for this gradual step up process of breaking into professional golf, as opposed to going straight to the LPGA tour, going to college first and winning a bunch there and getting used to winning. You know, there's something to be said for that because one thing that you cannot say about Rose Zhang is that she doesn't know how to win because she's just, she's done it so much that it's habitual at this point for her.
2: You've got to think, too, and all that experience maybe aided her in making some of those decisions yesterday, whether it was you know her choices off the tee or different pins to go at. It was a difficult golf course out there yesterday. Played to about, I think it was well over 73 was the scoring average for the field. It was not an easy day out there. And she was able to manage herself around the course and you know almost didn't get it done, but uh, was able to pull it off in a playoff. And that's, that's just kind of what I I was kept thinking about that a lot. I was like, this kind of feels like, someone who's a who's really experienced in these shoes and can manage her way to a victory when she doesn't have her best stuff.
0: All right. Anything else?
2: Yeah. I want to get into the performance specific stuff. This was the thing I was really excited to dig into. So I work closely with the KPMG performance insights week in week out. Um, and it's a little bit of a lag time to get the strokes gained, but we got it this morning after it all got processed. Um, she won this tournament despite having negative strokes gained putting. I think that is unbelievably encouraging because as anybody who, whether you're a, a gambler or a daily fantasy person or just a fan of golf knows, week to week, ball striking is more, it, it translates more week to week, right? Putting is a little bit more variant. Rose won with negative strokes gained putting, meaning she didn't rely on making a zillion feet of putts to break away from the pack her game was absolutely complete. She led the field in driving accuracy, led the field in strokes gained T to green, second in greens in regulation, second in strokes gained around the green. It was all there to the point where she didn't need to make everything in sight. That doesn't mean she didn't make some clutch putts, as you saw coming down the stretch. The 10-footer she made, I think on 17 to keep herself in it. Um, you know, She made her fair share of them to save those pars, especially on the front nine yesterday. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really cool that, and really promising for a future going forward. She's got more in the bag because she didn't even have a, a hot putter all week and she was able to get the win in her first try as pro.
0: And, and so, you know, what are the parts of the game right now that are looking extraordinary? Like essentially, how is she winning tournaments?
2: She's unbelievably accurate off the tee. Um, I think you could probably tell that because she had, she had some Ma- Matsuyama-ish reactions, There's some shots off the tee, yeah, like the
0: one-handed finish, and it's like Mm -hmm. left center of the fairway. (laughs) Oh, yeah, oh, it's
2: terrible, and it's it's like the right center part of the fairway. Like, so she hit more fairways than anybody in the field, and that's tough to do on the LPGA. They're much more accurate off the tee than the men are. Um, And then she's got great iron play, approach play. Um, She was where I got 11th in strokes gained approach for the week, but tied for second in greens and regulation in the field. Um, she's got every club in the bag in terms of around the green, as far as I can tell, um, a lot of really good wedge shots, a lot of good shots around the green. Um, and she, like I said, she didn't have her best, uh, putting performance, but, um, she had everything else going and it's not like she's not a good putter. She can definitely turn it on. And I think that's a pretty scary proposition because if she, if she even was maybe 15th or 20th in strokes game putting, she would have won last week by five just if she was a little bit above average among the players who made the cut she would have won by four or five six shots the,
1: the driving accuracy is pretty wild like you said Garrett just yeah. considering how accurate the women's game how they how accurate they are off the tee i mean yeah. to lead that in your first tournament is is crazy
2: there are weeks where the field will average between 70 and 75% as a field
1: right. you know
2: i mean it's crazy it's it's and and for her to be first in her first you know tries a pro is, is pretty staggering
1: we were we were talking earlier about kind of tempering expectations and not like, you know, buying totally into the the hype, the hype train here. But I was thinking like she's got the the junior and the am and we have the open coming up at Pebble is. And I may have this wrong, but the na- Joanne Carner's name comes to mind as someone who's won all three. I don't know if there's somebody anybody else who's done that. Um, but that will be, I think, yeah, when you talk about the next month, like pebble is just gets amplified even more after, after what happened yesterday. So it, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, talking out both sides of my mouth saying let's temper expectations and throw that out there. But yeah, I was just thinking of the, the, the wins in the junior career. And and now we've got this win on the pro career and quite the stage coming up soon at pebble. Meg, I'm
2: really glad that you were able to expand that point. Because I was able to quickly look up.
1: You are typing, yeah, yeah,
2: I had the <laughs> answer, that, yeah. and yeah, Joanne Carter is the only player to win the girls' junior, the women's amateur, and the women's open. So, yeah,
1: you're spot yeah, on. There. So, wow, some thank more. Thank you for
2: thank you for stretching out a couple extra sentences so I can get that answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's a tweet, uh, <laughs> Justin, right there. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, after this break, we'll bring on Justin's colleague at the Athletic. Brendan Quinn to talk about Rose Zhang's background and who she seems to be as a person. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a shot because I noticed that my daily habits just weren't the healthiest and I wasn't always getting what I needed nutritionally. So now I take AG1 first thing in the morning right before I take the kids out to the bus stop and it just gives me an assurance that I've started my day the right way. Plus it gives me a little boost of energy which is always a good thing. Another great thing about AG1 is that they provide travel packs and these have really come in clutch during the summer golf season because during the summer I travel a lot. I'm I'm out on the road. And, you know, I don't really even pay attention to what I'm eating and drinking when I'm traveling. It's just there's so many other things going on that I don't focus on what I'm actually putting into my body. And that is not a good thing. Like, that's that's not a great way to approach travel. So what I've been doing is bringing these AG1 travel packs along with me and taking them first thing in the morning, putting them in a, in a little bit of water and, and taking that down. And it just gets me started off the right way and makes sure that that at least I have, you know, something good for me (laughs) as as part of my day. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg. That's athleticgreens.com slash egg. Check it out. We are here with Brendan Quinn. He is a senior writer for The Athletic. You can find his golf tweets and occasionally his college basketball tweets at BF Quinn. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm proud to be back on the show. Yeah,
0: you're, you are a uh, frequent yeah. guest on the show. I, I often prevail upon you to... Uh, to come on here, and uh, very grateful that you keep coming back. So last week, you wrote a profile of Rose Zhang for The Athletic called "The World Is Ready for Rose Zhang." Is she ready for the world? Do you think she answered that question this week?
3: Uh, <laughs> that, I mean, that was that was unbelievable. It is. It's you. You imagine how you know the these kind of athletes that you follow are, are going to translate what they do into a new setting whether it's like a player leaving one team and joining another team and it's just like you know what's the what's the most storybook version of how this goes and it's like i mean to go and win the first event you know, in the shadow of Manhattan and the Statue of Liberty. Like, you could just see all these corporate sponsors were just like, oh. <laughs> Call-
0: Callaway was are, very happy. There are here. many, big, 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 big many party.
3: corporate sponsors who have been on this train for a long time, and to get immediate pay- payoff was uh, quite a thing, but just the way that she's handled everything. I've actually wondered um, if it might be uh, even underappreciated uh, just what it took to win this week. Um, you know, I mean, they finished. Stanford finished NCAA's on May twenty third, um, and then she's just been going since, like, because she's still in school. So she's she's like taking
1: finals and stuff. Yeah, she's like got that, she's right? got a few finals this week.
3: Yeah, the last we spoke was the Sunday before the story ran. So it was like the twenty eighth or something. So not the Sunday that she won, but the full week prior, and. At that time, she was talking about like oh, I've got a I've got a test in my Chinese course, and I've got three other quizzes due, and I've got to get ready for finals. I have to move because I have to get out of my the dorm space that she's in, and I, I, I have a I have a lab. Tomorrow or a, a couple of days? What was it a CSP set? I don't even know what the hell that means, but it's something at Stanford. So I assume it's hard. Um,
0: it sounds like, she she like she's taking real to... classes, like yeah. that. She's not oh, taking yeah. the not taking. We used to call them in college gut classes, uh, uh-huh. where they, it would just like not a real class. It' pretty easy A and and whatever. Uh, but it seems like she's taking some classes that are actually kind of hard.
3: Yeah, I mean, I went to one with. I went to a, a computer programming course, and it took me. Th- 10 to 15 minutes to even realize like what the course was because the guy (laughs) that the the ta just went to the board just started coding on the the chalkboard and i'm like i there were just these equations but i'm like i don't know is this like a math course is this i don't i don't understand what we're talking about (laughs) he finally said like you know when you're when you're computer programming blah, blah blah i was like oh okay it's a computer program is <laughs> so a lot about me but you know uh yes no she's definitely in some real uh stanford classes this is i don't know how many fake courses are at stanford but uh she's she's doing the real deal
0: i think there are probably probably a few out there that you know but but uh it, it seems like she is uh, at least taken some computer science that would be beyond most people's abilities so um You've been working on this profile for a while. You know, there are pieces mm-hmm. of your article that take place, you know, not last week. And mm-hmm. so, you know, aside from the fact that she has an incredible golf game and has had put together a, a, an amazing college resume, what made her a compelling subject to write about for you?
3: Um, yeah, I, I think it's always the, the idea of the prodigy is really always at the at the core of it when you hear you know and and I first learned of Rose from afar like most golf fans golf people you know through the 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 Stanford piece on no laying up and other you know ventures that that she's going to continue and you always see her win right you'd see the the USGA tweet out basically three times a year like congratulations to you know the Junior Girls winner Rosa, and you just see the name and see the name and see the name, and you're just like, who is this person? What is going on, you know? So um, I was just kind of basically curious about it, and then I planned a trip to Arizona, um, kind of like how the sausage gets made version of like how the story kind of came to be, in part is I, I went out to Arizona um, for a few days to do basketball and golf. So it was the preseason for hoops. So I wanted to go to Arizona and Arizona State. So I sat down with Bobby Hurley at Arizona State one day, and I went down to Tucson and spent some time with uh, Pella Larson, who's a basketball player there. Um, but then it was a, it was coincided with a Callaway shoot there, where they bring in all their big guns. I got, you know, through some um, – People who work with Callaway got a list of who was going to be there, right? So it's Rom, it's all their players, and there was Rose's name. And I was like, you know, maybe this is a long play, you know, and just kind of spend spend a couple days with her here, start to build a relationship, you know, not not to write anything now, but down the line. So uh, yeah, we spent two days in Arizona at the Callaway shoot, and then we just spoke a couple times during the year on some Zoom calls and just kind of caught up. And then I planned the trip out to Palo Alto and uh, traveled out there this spring, and and that was it.
0: Well done, uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> obviously, it, it came together came together well. Uh, the the long play worked out. Um, so, and I'm glad that this kind of journalism also is happening. I'm just happy that that people are still traveling to do articles and, and things like that. So all credit to The Athletic for uh, for creating a space for this kind of stuff. Yeah,
3: and it not only takes an outlet, it takes an editor, you know, like pitching this to Hugh Kellenberger, my editor, and he had to be like, yeah, okay, you're not going to write anything live off of being at this event? And I'm like, no, it's all for down the line. <laughs> it's like, all right, like he knows who who she is, so yeah, give it a shot. Let's see what happens with it. And yeah, you're, you're right, though. It does take... It's a major financial commitment to do these things. So um, I'm happy to work where I work, needless to say.
0: Where did the decision not to speak with Rose's parents on the record come from? Mm
3: -hmm. Um, So obviously I asked. um, And in the fall at the Scottsdale uh, visit, um, it was not a hard no at that point. It was like, well, maybe, you know. That's, that's something we could do. and Because I wasn't sure what the story was going to be then. I wasn't sure if it was going to be the story of her family's journey from China to the United States and and getting established in California. She wasn't born yet. Her brother was born in China. She was not. Um, I didn't know. If maybe that's the story or maybe it's the story of her parents. You know, I just didn't know. So um, at that point, it was still relatively open. Um, and then – over the course of the year, you know, a couple of conversations and it, it, that kind of just got phased out of the conversation um, of, of, of that. And it, um, it ended up being the conversation with Bill, her older brother, who she kind of says is a, uh, spoke of as a generational gap. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of understands parents, understands the, 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 the culture and also understands her and, you know, how she sees herself and things like that. So um, he is he significantly crucial, older, right? He's yes. he's
0: thirty to her twenty, yeah. right? Correct. And was born Correct. in China and, and has yeah. memories from he from was, there. He so was that makes eight.
3: sense. Yeah. He was eight when when the family moved over. So um yeah, I mean he was a crucial voice and I mean he wasn't quoted very much, but we talked for, you know, an hour and a half or, or so. Um and yeah, once I went out there for the visit, it was, you know, I, I, think, I think the reaction to what happened at Augusta um, and a lot of people trying to um, just make interpretations of, of things and draw their own conclusions, I, I really think it was a kind of moment of realizing like w- what it is when things are out of one's control. Mm-hmm. You know, and and how these things can take on a life of their own. So I th- I really think it wasn't a issue of like, oh, no, what will dad say if he talks to this writer? It's more how will people interpret what he says and will they take it out of context and, and things like that? Um, there's a little bit of a language barrier, too. So, you know... Do things get, um, you know, I I guess lost in translation for lack of a better term? Um, Who knows? But yeah, I think it was, it was really just more protective of, of mom and dad than, than anything else. Um, And the other thing was like, when we were going through, you know, what do you want people to know about you? You know, I had very kind of just open conversation about that and not, not like, what do you want me to write? But like, what do you want to say about yourself? You know, what like what do you want your story to be? And I, I think the big thing was like she 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 wanted to talk about her her life and things like that and not have it be she's her parents child. You know, she's her own individual. So like I I that was you know, I, I, through the writing process, like trying to keep that as like a focus of mine, ended up kind of being a byproduct of some of those conversations. It was like if the story's about Rose, right? And it's not going to be about me, a guy who's you know hung out with her a few times, trying to interpret what her 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 upbringing and her parents mean, or you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I it's just going to be what she says, and, and I don't need to. Um, put my own spin on things so um, I think it would have at the same time I think it would have been a very different story if I spoke to her parents uh, you know for you know and I probably added a lot of context I I wish I do wish it had happened
0: well part of what happened at Augusta National what you referred to earlier is that her father became part of the story her father Mm -hmm. was caddying for her and people on site as well as at home watching on television had some commentary on how he caddied. And as somebody who watched her a great deal, he was an unusual caddy in a lot of ways. And there was a signature moment sort of on the 15th hole where he persuaded her to go for the green and she did not want to, she knew it wasn't a good decision and she wasn't committed to the shot and she came up well short in the water. And after the tournament there was a little bit of obfuscation i would say not intentional i don't think on her part but she said different things about that decision she did say in the press conference in the augusta national press center that her father had made that decision and that she was against it but she there were different versions of it that came out Mm -hmm. but in any case suffice it to say that her father was a figure during that week. And so it's understandable that there would be some sensitivity around that. Would you say, I mean, from her own account of her childhood, would you say that she had a kind of one track upbringing that, that she was unusually focused on, on, on golf to the exclusion of other factors in her childhood? And if that's not your interpretation, then what were some right. of the insights about her upbringing that that you got? Yeah,
3: so you know she played many other sports before golf, um, and was pretty damn good. Like was naturally really good. I remember once I think Bill told me about um, uh, one of her friends when she was like eight or something like that was already a very good junior swimmer. You know, and had parents that were like, "Our child's going to be a swimmer." And so this kid was in the pool for years, and you know, training to be this swimmer, or whatever, an eight-year-old or nine-year-old or something like that. And like Rose, I think, like got in the pool with her one day, and just like beat her. Like, just she was just a she's just an athlete, you know. Like, this is not the 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 golfer who asked to like ask. um him or her to throw a ball and it just looks totally awkward. And you're like, it's amazing that you can tie your shoes, let alone play golf the way you do. Like, (laughs) I think she's a real athlete and her, from my understanding, her relationship with golf was not like, you know, three-year-old here's the club, here's the swing. Like, you know, the, the very um, stereotypical golf dad, version that you would think of you know hitting balls into a net as a four-year-old and the big plastic clubs and like golf 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 it I I don't know I've asked and it didn't seem like it was that it was more so she picked up one of her father's clubs and started swinging and it was kind of like huh look at that and she was left-handed or she is left-handed and dad's right-handed and she picked up the right-handed club and started swinging right-handed and then they went to that, you know, a clear dirt field next to the house and started hitting balls, and here come, here's this natural golf swing. And, you know, there's that portion in the story of, of Ann Walker, the coach from Stanford, um, when we were talking to her office, and she just said, you know, I, I just wonder about that moment all the time of when she first picked up a golf club. And was it the same thing as young Mozart sitting at a piano and hearing a piece of music and then playing the piece of music when there's just no explanation for why he's able to do that or why her body and her mind were so in tune to make the golf swing that she made as a child. So now once she was off and running, which was really quickly, she won a tournament like three months after she started swinging the club and. Um, Yes, it was pretty one track at that at that point. But she's a uh, high academic achiever. Um, it was loads of school, and the funny thing is, from her own account, like her parents did not drive academics. It was not you know report card, report card, blah blah blah. Like she was her own. Like she's a perfectionist to the highest degree, um, and shows I think in everything that you see her do and say. Um, there's a reason why everything's so polished. I think that's her natural makeup. So, yeah, I mean, once she was just an obviously elite player, it was golf. And she was pretty siloed. And she went hard, really hard. Played hurt, practiced, all of these things that she had to learn um, about, you know, what's too much. And she learned the hard way a few times.
0: Left-handed, playing right-handed. I have a thing about this. You know who else is naturally left-handed and plays right-handed? Jordan Spieth, Curtis Strange, Ben Hogan, Johnny Mm. Miller, Nick Price, Greg Norman, Henrik Stenson, Phil Mickelson is a natural right-hander who plays left-handed. So parents... (laughs) If your child is showing a predilection for one hand over the other, make them swing the golf club from the opposite side of the ball. Is- but now, here's
3: something weird about Rose. Not I don't mean weird. Weird is a, it's a bad word. But here's something odd. I would say. So when we were, uh, I sat at a, at a range session at Stanford, and like you want to talk about the best life, sitting in an Adirondack chair for a Rose Zhang range session. At Stanford, with the Stanford Mountains behind as the backdrop, and just in the Adirondack chair, it's like 9 (laughs) a.m. It is perfect. I'm like, what a job, what a scam this is!
0: Unbelievable. (laughs) Get me Um, out of Michigan.
3: Oh, fantastic! But um, like like the perfect white noise. I told her she should have a side business where she just records herself hitting irons,
0: like ASMR kind
3: of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Turn it into like I I use white noise when I sleep, right? It's like the like a waterfall. And just, I'm like you know, people all over the country will get that just to sleep to and, and whatever. But anyway, so she turns around the club and starts swinging left handed. Now she's stretching. You know, she uses it as a as a stretch to hit muscles that you don't hit when you're swinging right handed. So she starts swinging left handed. I'm like, holy shit, that that swings even better than your than your normal swing and. She's like, yeah, you know, like I got wondered, you know, what, like, what would have happened if I played the other way? And I was like, well, what, you know, what, what's your best score when you, I'm um, surely it would have occurred to you to go see what you should, what you could shoot left-handed. She's like, you know, I've never even thought of trying. And I was like, what? Isn't that strange? I feel like anyone else who could do that would go see what they could shoot left-handed. I don't know. I was, I'm was. still really hung up on that. But I think it says something about her brain that like <laughs> it just didn't seem like something she should do. I don't know. Yeah. Fascinating.
0: That is kind of how she works. Meg and I talked about this earlier, that she yeah. has a sort of useful naivete where mm-hmm. she's like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. I've just been here focusing on this thing that I do. And yeah. that's maybe part of her her secret sauce i suppose
1: yeah it's 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 interesting though because there is the toughness there there is the you know hitting a million balls the 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 gym sessions the the hard work and everything that's gone into it and that rarely comes out because i said earlier like it's always this kind of like aw shucks you know Mm -hmm. feeling when she's talking about you know just winning her first professional debut Um, and I wonder, like, I wonder if we'll start seeing more of that as she grows and as she becomes, you know, a, 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 you know, professional grinding out there week in, week out, you know, I wonder if that toughness that she doesn't really let out very often will start to come through a little bit more as she's grinding out there. Um, but it's there, like, like you said, Brendan, like, like she's pushed too hard. She's learned lessons about pushing too Mm -hmm. hard. Um, there's, there's something underneath there with the toughness because like, obviously the killer instinct is there with how much she wins, but it seems like it's under this, you know, like way underneath, uh, the modesty and the humbleness that comes out.
3: I, I, one of the wins, I think that she's most proud of, like, cause it's funny when you're talking to somebody who's won that much, like, what do they actually bring up? Like, what are the ones that stick out to them when you just have, we're surrounded by trophies um and one that really one of the only tournaments that like she really dove into talking about like free independent of me asking anything was the 2021 US girls juniors um i think it was at columbia country club and it was when uh bailey davis was like the underdog story and everyone you know really jumped on the story and it was this Awesome scene, um Goth Channel was all about it, right it was and the crowd there I think it was I think she was basically like a hometown product, if I'm remembering this correctly, and the crowd was for Bailey Davis, not for Rose, and i she thrived on it, and she felt it, and I think she liked it, and she went out and when they played um the championship uh speech i think she shot a 64 in the morning now it's match play but she shot a 64 in the morning um took a lead in the afternoon and then i think on the closing hole with a chance to win she hit the flag stick from like 140 out um you know five foot birdie to win it 164 and you know it was very much the like there will be no
0: Cinderella story
1: today. Uh, I'm ba- Bailey didn't. Thing. Bailey didn't stand a chance. Poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: Like, so she she liked icing the crowd. In other words.
3: Yeah, I think she was. Yeah, she, she, I remember her talking about it and kind of like you could see the competitor there that like enjoyed um, the, the chance to play when people weren't just like, oh, you know, go Rose, win again, blah blah blah. You know.
0: Does she have? A narrative for herself about why she's a great player is there a story that she tells herself about what makes her special or or kind of you know transcendent that's
3: a great question um yeah i think it's um what she tells herself is that she's not special and that all of the other people out there are just as good or better um, and that the only thing that she has on them is the willingness to prepare harder and not make mistakes. Uh, that's it. I, I really just think that she's, and it makes sense when you see her in person because she is not especially tall or big or strong or or anything. You know, I mean, if anything, she might be a little undersized for you know, the highest level. Um, but it's, there was that, that great scene um, that of her sitting and talking to a bunch of junior girls when she told them all that, you know, all the the other NCA the best players in the NCA are just as good or better. And the best players in the AJGA were just as good, if not better than her. And then one of the, you know, one of the young ladies asked, you know, why do you win? And her response was because I make fewer mistakes. And that's like, that's it. And that was really at the root of her reaction at Augusta and her hitting herself on the thigh and being visibly pissed off in the front. I don't think it was, she was pissed at her dad. I think she was pissed at herself for listening, you know, like, and she said that to me when we talked about it. So I really think that, you know, of why trying to crawl into her head and, how she views herself and how she views her, you know, kind of prodigious abilities or whatever you want to call them. It's, she's not a prodigy. I, I, yeah. I, I think that's it. Um, and could that also just be the public version? Could be. I'll never know. You know what I mean? There's, there's always going to be those, those things where, you know, do, do I believe what you say? Or do I believe that you believe what you say? Are those? These are the things that kind of get into profile writing when you're, when you're dealing with people. But hearing her talk about her own golf swing is is amazing because she just she just says she gets over the ball and she just has this this quick scan and it's the shoulder weight feet boom go and um, she self corrects her swing. It seems like at a higher level than anybody else and can do so in real time. Um, you know like Ann Walker's like she could write a book about the golf swing right now that would be pretty much better than anything you'll read
0: she's got a little bit of Bobby Clampett in her Bobby Clampett once told me a story about when he was at his best in college he was able to sort of fix little things in his swing because all the components were so well aligned and you knew if, mm-hmm. if one was off then it would and he fixed it then it would all come together just fine um one last thing here a major revelation in your article for me is that she plans to stay in college while playing on the LPGA tour. Does that not seem utterly delusional?
3: (laughs) Yeah, it does. I mean, like, you... Because you have to think if it's... It's easy to say now. It's something that's easy to say now, and it's something that a 19-year-old would say with full conviction, and then realize you know, a year out, like, this is madness, I just can't do this, it's too hard, but, I mean, she's really, (laughs) she meant it when she said it, I I don't think this is just, like, a, um, in her mind right now, I don't think it's delusion, I, I, think it is conviction, if anything else, and it's really what I think is at the root of it, um, is the best thing that happened to Rose is going to college. And it's because she picked up and she lived on her own six hours from home. You know, if she had just gone right from high school life to professional life and just go right on the grind of traveling with her her father or an agent and just the traveling kind of grind, you know, who knows what would have happened and what would have definitely happened is she would not have been in control at all. And I think by going to college, um, she learned a lot about herself and about when to say yes to things and when to say no to things and how to be in control of her own schedule and when to, how to be in control of everything. Um, and that's probably the reason she went for a second year too. Like she didn't need to go to a second year at Stanford. That was crazy. And I just think she wanted it more. And the big thing that school and staying in school to me is her saying, I'm keeping this for me. Everyone else can get whatever they want out of all this, but that's for me. And that's where I'm most comfortable. And I'm still going to be with my friends. Does it last for two or three years? I don't know, but she's planning on having an apartment in Palo Alto uh, and training at Stanford and going to class at Stanford and and like i mean physically going to class at stanford not
0: right not online remote learning yeah. it's
3: not a thing yeah. To yeah. physically that's the, be that's in the part school. that's kind of
0: crazy i mean yeah i mean and when you're going to stanford it, it, you you can't necessarily half ass it like it's got the no. reputation of being a, <laughs> yeah. a fairly challenging school and students who are there uh, i would imagine find it pretty overwhelming just to be a student but that, in any case, is her plan. But it's it's very insightful, what you just said. College is the best thing that happened to her. Because the thing that's really unusual about the Roseang story right now, the most unusual thing, arguably, is that she went to college. Because mm-hmm. a lot of players in her position in women's golf would turn pro at 16, 17 years old. She did not. She decided to go to college for two years and become one of the great college players of all time. And so we'll see how that works out. I think it will do her a lot of good. I am convinced that that choice, as opposed to turning pro when she was really young, has done her an enormous amount of good.
3: Totally. I I mean, were you going to say something, Meg? Sorry.
1: I was just saying, perhaps that will lengthen her career compared to yeah. some of the fade outs that we've seen when you do start so young and you jump in with both feet into the professional game as a teenager.
3: So... There's this. You know, Stanford's a very unique place. Um, there's just an air there of just. There's just these geniuses all over the place, and and you're just like well, even athletes. You know, you're just one girl's campus, and you're like, oh, there's you know an Olympic swimmer. There's an Olympic fencer. I don't know, are they called fencers? Probably. There's an <laughs> Olympic fencer. You know, like there. That's. It's one of those places, you know, there's certain campuses you walk across when you're just kind of in awe of of what's around you. And so part of Rose, um, I think her, as much as she is driven to be um, competitively superior in terms of like preparation and work and work and work, she's also like really driven to be normal. And I think she wants to be normal. And at Stanford, she gets to be normal you know like it's just not a big deal that she was the number one amateur golfer in the world while she was there it just wasn't a big deal there to the point where like during her freshman year she was like hung out just hanging out in her like freshman dorm and got to know all these people and their trading stories and she was like delightful she was like it was one of the great moments of like (laughs) just hanging out with other kids and then, like, a week later, they were hanging out, and they decided to, like, pull up each other's social media or, like, Google each other's names. And one kid was like, Rose, like, why do you have a Wikipedia page? What is this? And another kid was like, Rose, this says you're number one in the world. Like, they didn't even know. They just thought she was, like, Rose from Irvine on the Stanford golf team. They just thought that that was the extent of it. So that was, that was pretty cool.
0: Thank you, Brendan. We'll let you go here and after this music fades out meg and i will be back with a couple of recommendations all right meg we are back for some recommendations what would you recommend this week
1: all right so the we, i know the major calendar has been jam packed already but we are about to starting with next week have three majors in the cor- in 4 weeks So we have three majors over the next month, essentially. Uh, Pebble, Women's PGA, and Women's U.S. Open. I mean, sorry, repeat. U.S. Open, LACC, PGA, Women's PGA at Baltusrol, Women's Open at Pebble. Um, Obviously, two of those USGA events, I was looking around the USGA YouTube channel a while back actually wrote about something I found on there, on Club TFE, the 2008 Women's Open at Interlochen, which uh, was where NB park one as a teenager and I, I i've dabbled in there before but i forgot just how much they have in there and and the various you know cutouts and and series that they have in in the youtube channel so if you're looking to kind of get a little context before you know the usga's bigots events of the year coming up here in just a few weeks uh their youtube channel you can you Plan for a, an hour or two because you can get you'll get sucked in real quick. Um, props to them for for compiling all of that and having it readily available. Um, it comes in really handy for for us here on the on the content side to to be able to find that stuff so quickly. Um, but yeah, USGA YouTube channel is my recommendation as we gear up for for some some what should be pretty fantastic majors here soon.
0: There is a really good archive there. I think it's exactly what the USGA YouTube channel should be, is, is just kind of this compendium of great stuff. So I, I certainly second that recommendation. All right, so my recommendation has to do with men's golf, which we have not talked about in this episode. Uh, Victor Hovland specifically is the memorial champion. This is the biggest win of Victor Hovland's career, I'm, I'm fairly certain. And what I want to recommend is, is his Spotify playlists.
1: (laughs) If you search... Turn your volume down a little lower (laughs) than you normally would before you click play on that playlist. Look... I'm saving people's ears here,
0: Garrett. If you search for Victor Hovland on Spotify, you will find a variety of Nordic Metal-centric playlists, and he's still keeping these up. There's a playlist called Metal 2023. So this isn't just something that he did while he was at Oklahoma State. He still curates Spotify playlists as multi-millionaire golfer, Victor Hovland <laughs> Memorial champion. And he actually has interesting tastes as you were alluding to. He's not like listening to Morgan Wallen and Luke Holmes <laughs> <poems> or some <laughs> shit like that. He's listening to some pretty serious oh, metal. <laughs> he really likes a band called Catatonia pretty into another one called august burns red so that's the kind of stuff now it's not like there's some there's some songs on there that are kind of where the the singer is doing that kind of throat thing like (laughs) you know the demon voice (laughs) but not all of them a lot of them are kind of i think on sort of the softer side of metal the more ethereal side of it and it's just interesting it's like not stuff that i've heard of before and i'm not used to pga tour golfers like really being into metal to the point where they're doing these public spotify playlists so i i really enjoy that that's my recommendation victor hovland's spotify playlists look them up all right meg thanks for joining me on this podcast this has been fun
1: thanks garrett talk soon
0: This episode of the Friday Egg podcast was edited by Matt Rusius. Thank you, Matt. If you'd like to support the Friday Egg, the single best thing that you can do is join Club TFE. This is at thefriedeggcom slash membership We offer all sorts of things with Club TFE, including content like weekly course profiles and regular blog posts, as well as perks like deals in the Pro Shop and early access to Friday Egg events and various other things club tfe again it's at the slash membership all the information is there thank you for listening and we'll be back again soon